0: Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. This is what we read. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord For the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Well, I've asked some of you this morning already, how was your Christmas, right? That's the question you're supposed to ask, especially the day after Christmas. How was your Christmas? What did you get? Not that I care because I like what I got, but hopefully you had a good Christmas, right? You got some good things. It's exciting, right? There's a joy about Christmas. Uh, Those of you who had kids or were around kids for Christmas, that's always really enjoyable to see all of the giggles and wiggles and squiggles and stuff because there's just this excitement. For them, it's been an eternity since last Christmas. Today, some children are in mourning because now it's a whole nother year before Christmas shows up again, right? Even if Christmas went exactly the way you wanted it to go, even if you got everything on your wish list, here's the reality. The reality is this morning that you and I would still not be satisfied. We still wouldn't be content if Christmas was everything you wanted it to be, the reality is that you and I shouldn't be satisfied. We shouldn't be content because as we find in our passage, this passage that is, as it were, pregnant with expectation, with waiting, with longing, you and I are a people who are waiting. Or we should be. I read this great quote this week from a famous... um, Egyptian author, and he said this, home is not where you are born, home is where all your attempts to escape cease. Home is not where you are born, home is where all of your attempts to escape cease. Now I don't know about you, but this morning the reality is, is that we are not home even as good as Christmas might be, even with that new outfit, with that new phone, with that new toy, there's something still missing. There, there, there's something that's still not complete. And, and in this text, we come across two individuals who are living this out. We come across Simeon and Anna, these two individuals who are in this process of Waiting. They're waiting. That's what we're told. Now, Simeon, we don't get as much information about Simeon. We don't know how old he is, but I would assume that he's older. Um, one, because the Holy Spirit tells him he's not going to die until he sees the Lord's Christ. That's not generally a message you give to a 20-year-old because they're not thinking about death. But also, Simeon says now that he's seen Jesus, that moment that he sees him, he says, okay, I'm good to die now. If he's in his 40s, I'm assuming he's planning on seeing the rest of what this baby is going to do. But we're not told how old he is, but we are told this, which which is, of course, interesting, is that Simeon is a righteous and devout man, verse 25 tells us, and that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. We're, we also come across another person who's waiting, and that is Anna. Now, um, we're not told that Anna is devout and righteous, but in, in a way we're shown that she's devout and righteous, right? Because here is this woman who, again, in, in Luke, in his very sensitive ways, just says she's advanced in years. And what is she doing? Well, she's advanced in years, and it tells us that she doesn't depart from the temple, which doesn't mean she lived there, but she was there often, and she's worshiping, she's fasting and praying day and night. Now the ESV has done a a job to translate the, the time references that we have. It's not totally clear. It's either that Anna is in her 80s or she could be upwards of 105 years old depending on how you translate the passage. She was married for seven years. Then her husband dies. She's a widow. And she is devoting herself to fasting and praying, to worshiping. So here we're in, we, we have two people, two, two new people that join in. And I don't know if you've noticed this in our, in our, in our Advent series, but we have two new people who join in with this group of people who are all said to be righteous or blameless, right? It started with, with Zachariah and Elizabeth who the text tells us were righteous and blameless. And then we have Mary who displays this great humility at willing to say, Lord, well, whatever you want from me, I'll do. And And now we have added to that these two. Simeon who has the Holy Spirit upon him and Anna who is committed to worship, to fasting and prayer. Well, of course, in that mix, we we, then we also have Mary and Joseph who show up in the temple. Now, we know Simeon is there because the Holy Spirit told him to go. Anna is there maybe because the Holy Spirit told her to go or because this is where she spent a lot of her time. But nonetheless, they are there at the temple and then Mary and Joseph end up at the temple. How did Mary and Joseph end up at the temple? Well, Luke is insistent upon this because he mentions it multiple times. They end up at the temple because verse 22 tells us they were doing what was according to the law of Moses. Then that idea is repeated again in verse 23 that they were doing what was written in the law of the Lord. It's repeated again in verse 26 that they were doing what was according to the custom of the law. And if all of that has not convinced us that that... What Luke is trying to make very clear, all the way at the close of our passage in verse 29, it tells us that once they had performed everything in accordance with the law of the Lord. Now, it's not totally clear everything that Mary and Joseph do when they get to the temple, and I'm not going to spend time going through all of the different thoughts and ideas about what they do and accomplish in the temple, what we know and what Luke is stressing is that they go to the temple to obey. Right? Jesus has been born, yes, but we're still under the old covenant. We're still under the Mosaic covenant and they're doing what they know is right. One of the things we know that they are doing is that they're going to the temple because 40 days after a male was born, the woman had to go through purification. And so they're there at least to do that. It seems as well that they're there because the firstborn son was, was to be for the Lord and was to be redeemed. It may be as well that they are there to present Jesus to the Lord for service in line with what we see uh, with Samuel in 1 Samuel. But the focus is this that Mary and Joseph are obeying. Now, I know that seems incredibly simplistic, but let me, let me stress this. And it's the first thing I want us to think about this morning as we enter into 2022. I want us to be reminded and called to simple obedience. Simple obedience. Now I use the word simple and I don't use that word to say easy. By simple I mean not complicated. I want you to just think about Mary and Joseph in the situation that they're in. All right? <laughs> they have been called to something that is totally extraordinary. Their lives have changed forever. Just think for a moment at the multitude of questions that Mary probably has about what she's supposed to do now. She may be waiting for Gabriel to show back up. Okay, you said I was going to have the baby. It's here. Now what? Joseph may be the same way. Okay, you told me that I was supposed to marry Mary, and I did, and now there's a baby. (laughs) How, How do we raise Jesus? Just think about all of the questions they have. Think about all that is unclear for them and in the midst of all that is unclear for them, and they don't know, what do we see them doing? What does Luke stress for us? What they do is they do what they know is right. They do what's clear. They do, they do what they know the law has commanded. They're walking in simple obedience. That may seem small, but I think it's incredibly significant. In fact, what the passage shows us is that while the Holy Spirit communicates to Simeon to get him to the temple, and the Holy Spirit may have communicated to Anna to get her to the temple, given that she's a prophetess, how does God get Mary and Joseph to the temple where He wants them to be for this divine appointment? Through simple obedience. Through simple obedience. God delights to work through simple obedience. He does not need our obedience. And the reality is, we don't, as it were, need our obedience. Our obedience is not, for those of us in Christ, gaining us any new standing before God. But that doesn't change the fact that what God does, He delights to work through our simple obedience. I don't need to spend a lot of time talking about the confusion that surrounds us as we leave 2021. The chaos that it seems the world is in and our country is in and our communities are in and even the church in America seems to be in. There seems to be so much confusion and, and, and if we sit around and we wait for clarity to figure out every single thing before we do anything, we won't do anything. Can I just remind you, brothers and sisters, do not fail to see the significance of simple obedience. What is that right thing you know to do. It's clear. It's been revealed in God's Word. Don't overlook doing that thing. We've probably all had those projects that grow on us, right? You started it, and maybe you knew when you started it, it was going to be big. Or if you're like me, you started it, and it was just like, I'm going to clean out this closet, and the next thing you know, every closet in the house is everything pulled out of it. And it's a disaster and you're standing in the middle of what is absolute chaos and you're going, I have no idea how I ended up here and I have no clue how I'm going to get all this clean. And in that moment, you can genuinely be tempted to say, I quit, I quit. We'll just have empty closets and all of our junk will be out in the living room for the rest of the year. I don't know, somebody else will clean it up. And if you wait in that moment to figure out what's the one next step I can do that will clean everything all at once, guess what you'll come up with? Nothing. Yeah, so Yes. Call in the junk people and have them. You, you, you won't come up with what do you have to do? You do the next thing. You just do the next thing. And then after you've done that, guess what you do? You do the next thing. As we go into 2022, I just want to call us back to, and I think the Lord wants to call us back to, in this example of Mary and Joseph, the power of just simple obedience. I know that we have complicated things going on in our lives. I know that you have complicated relationships and complicated situations. And I am not saying that by doing what God commands, it's like some magic wand that will be waved over it and you'll say that nice, kind word and poof, everything will be perfect. No. But I can guarantee you this, walking in disobedience will only make it worse. Walking in disobedience will not get you any closer where you ought to be. Simple obedience. Well, as I mentioned, we are introduced to people who are walking in obedience, and we've seen this, right? We've seen this with Zechariah and Elizabeth. We've seen it in Mary. We've seen this celebration of simple obedience. But we also find here people who are waiting. We're told that in... Uh, chapter two verse twenty five that Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel hearkening back to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter forty this 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 prayer for comfort he's waiting for that for that deliverance Anna is waiting and she's been waiting for years and years and years she's she's modeling this waiting in her praying and in her fasting in fact I love this we're told that um, this is the way my translation reads, is that Anna has started a Facebook group. Did you see that? Verse 28. She started a Facebook group called Waiting for the Redemption of Jerusalem. How do I know that? Well, because the moment she sees Jesus, it tells us, she goes and speaks to Him of all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She, she's in whatever, a group text, something, whatever your social media platform of preference is. She's formed this group. She knows the others who are in this group of waiting. You know, that also reminds me of this fact. Anna and Simeon are here for us as examples, as representatives of a group of people that spent their lives waiting. A couple Sundays ago, Justin mentioned the fact that it's been 400 years of silence from the end of Malachi. Till Gabriel shows up in the temple. Same setting, by the way. Not the same exact location in the temple, obviously, but same setting. Gabriel shows up, speaks to Zechariah. 400 years of silence. How many faithful people of God died during that 400 years? Waiting. Waiting. There are echoes in Luke chapter 2, or the beginning of Luke, to Exodus. Where interestingly enough, we have another 400 years, probably 430 years, right? Of enslavement, waiting for deliverance. How many Israelites died in Egypt waiting? Waiting for a deliverance that they never, never saw. Anna and Simeon represent for us people who wait. And the reality is is that the life of the people of God is a life of waiting. The life of the people of God is a life of waiting. Anna and Simeon had waited. Anna had waited because we have the, the year markers of her, her life. She has waited for at least 84 years Maybe up to 105 years she has been waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She's been waiting. Why does God call us to wait? Because here's the interesting thing and we're going to get to this a little bit more in a moment, but... Anne and Simeon are waiting and then what do they get? They get Jesus. That is exactly right. They get a baby. Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the fulfillment of covenant promises. And what does he get? He gets a baby. And do you notice how our text ends? We're still waiting. This baby has to grow up. Why does God call us to wait? Because you and I here this morning, we're still waiting. We started there. We should be waiting. If you're content, completely content where you're at, it is not a good sign. Because this is not home. The fullness of the kingdom has not come. We are a people who are waiting. And I don't know about you, but when you take seriously these promises, if if you are... are at this this place like a Simeon, like an Anna? You are leaning in intensely, and you're going, "Why not yet?" You're you're not the waiting of the old crusty guy who's bored with Christmas and is sitting back, going, well, "I don't care if you give me any present; doesn't matter, stupid Christmas." You're the five year old going, "Woo! When do we open presents?" Woo! Why not now? Why can't we do it now? Why can't we do it now? Why, why not now? Why not now? Right? It's the day of the day. Why not now? Why not now? Right? That that's you're you're at that that level. You feel that longing inside of you. There is a discontent inside of you. There is a desire inside of you. When, Lord? How long, Lord? Why does God call us to wait? Why are we waiting? Well, I think one of the answers to that question is that waiting in a unique way engraves upon our heart a trust in the sovereignty of God and in His goodness. You and I can sit here and we can affirm the sovereignty of God. We can say God is in control of all things. We can sing about it. We can sign a doctrinal statement that says it. We can read theology books about it. And we can affirm, amen, hallelujah, God's sovereign, and it can sit there in our heads as a fact that we believe, but nothing like waiting takes that fact and forces it to be engraved on our hearts. Because waiting, like nothing else, reminds me that I am not the center of the universe. Right? That's why I don't like it. <laughs> Every time I have to wait, I'm reminded that this whole story is not about me. It's about somebody else. Somebody else is in control. And it's not me. And it makes me not just in an academic head sense accept the sovereignty of God. It makes me on the, the, right down on the ground, bottom shelf level, accept the sovereignty of God. Somebody else is in control. And it's not me. And here's the reality. If I was in control, I'd be doing things differently. But I'm not in control. Now that's, that's hard enough to swallow. But what else happens when we have to wait? When I have to wait, it doesn't take long before I'm not just complaining about the circumstances. If it's you who's making me wait, I'm complaining about you. (laughs) Right? If I'm sitting in the doctor's office and the time for my appointment has shown up and it's passed and I'm still sitting in that horrid place called the waiting room, they really need to come up with a different name for that. What do I begin to think in my head? doctor. He didn't care about me. He's probably back there shopping for a new Rolex. I mean, come on. I can barely afford to pay my copay and he's back there shopping for a Rolex. He didn't care about us little people. That guy. Seriously. These nurses, they don't care. They're not doing anything. Look at him. She's on her phone. These are terrible people. I can't believe, why do I come here? What, What do I do? I begin to question the character of the people who are causing me to wait. When God forces us to wait, it takes all of these things we say about God, sing about God, affirm about God, and it exposes what we really believe about God in our hearts. If I walked around this morning and I said, God is good, I don't think a single person in here would be like, No, he's not. We would all say amen to that. We might even add that, you know, res- proper response. He's good all the time. But then God calls me to wait. And what do I find in my heart? I find my heart screaming, God, I'm not sure that you're good. Because if you were good, why would you make me wait for this? Like nothing else, waiting forces us to accept, to believe, to allow the work of the Spirit to engrave upon our hearts the sovereignty and goodness of God. And it's only as we press into that sovereignty and goodness do we find hope in the midst of our waiting? That's where we find Anna and Simeon. Resting, hoping, in the goodness of God in the midst of their waiting. And what do they get? Well, they're not just waiting, but we get rejoicing. Simeon is given to us by Luke as a model... Israelite, because we're told in verse 25 that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the deliverance that only God can bring. Now, a ton could be said about that because you go back and you read the Old Testament. You want to see when when people get themselves in big time trouble. (laughs) It's when they stop waiting and they start trying to help God accomplish his plan. Abraham says, I know what I'll do. I'll take a second wife. And I'll speed this thing along. Whoops. That's not, it's not. God doesn't need help accomplishing his plan. The right posture is the posture of waiting. And so there's that word waiting. And then in verse 28, some of you might panic at this. Some moms might panic at this, especially in America, because this doesn't happen here very often. It just says Simeon took the child, Right. If you've lived in another country, this happened in Senegal, you just know people are going to take your baby. I mean, it's just going to happen. There's not going to be an an, an ask. They're just going to take. The word take there, he took him, is actually, it could be translated receive, and there's that idea in it. He's waited for, and now he's receiving what God has provided. So he takes into his arms this baby, and he blesses the Lord, and listen to these profound words. One, he says, listen, now I can die because what the Holy Spirit had said would happen has happened. Verse 30, he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. What has he seen? Who has he seen? He's seen Jesus. These are profound words by Luke as he writes to Theophilus right here at the outset he's making abundantly clear as clear well maybe not as clear but you know John in, in the beginning he makes really clear who Jesus is well Luke's doing a pretty good job here to say listen if you've seen the baby Jesus you have seen God's salvation and we have the same response from Anna right She begins to give thanks to God and she begins to speak of Him, the Him being Jesus, to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Just different wording for the same type of thing, the consolation of Israel. She's seen Jesus. She's seen God's salvation. Now, what's remarkable to me is that, as we mentioned earlier, what have they seen? They've seen a 40-day-old baby. Have you been around a 40-day-old baby before? They're cute. Most of them, not all of them are cute. Can we agree on that? We're forced to tell all of you your kids are cute. Some of them, they're just not. 40-day-old, what can a baby do at 40 days old? Cry, a lot of crying. Sleeping at the wrong times. We could list more about what this child can't do than what this child can do. At this point, Jesus can't feed Himself. He can't sit up. He can't walk. He can't talk. The Spirit just testifies to Simeon that that's the Lord's salvation right there. That's the Lord's Christ. How much more did Simeon understand? I don't know. I don't know. But guess what? Simeon doesn't wait to rejoice till he's figured it all out. Anna doesn't wait to rejoice till she's figured it all out. The likelihood is that both of these individuals died before Jesus began His public ministry. I would imagine that both of them are dead by the time Jesus shows up in the next instance that we have of Luke where he's 12 years old and he's there in the temple. I doubt Anna or Simeon were a part of that gathering to hear Jesus Talking with the Pharisees, blowing their minds about the things that he's explaining. I don't imagine that they're around for that. They didn't get to see him turn water into wine. They didn't get to hear him teach. They didn't get to see him walk on water or make blind people see. They didn't get to see the transfiguration. They didn't get to see him hanging on the cross and his blood pouring out for the sins of the world. And they didn't get to see his resurrection. What they had was the Old Testament. And the testimony of the Spirit. And they believed. And their faith in the fact that this was God's salvation. Allowed them then to enter into joy. And into rejoicing. As we enter into 2021, I want to call us to obedient waiting. And as we enter into 2022, I want to call us to rejoice by faith in things beyond what we can see and understand. To rejoicing by faith in things beyond what we can see and understand. Think about this their circumstances, by and large, haven't changed. The moment that Simeon takes that child and begins to rejoice that this is the Lord's salvation, Rome didn't fall. Anna's still a widow. It's right there in the temple. This is probably taking place either in the court of the women or the court of the Gentiles. And in several years from now, what is Jesus going to do in that area? He's going to flip over tables because there's corruption in the temple. And I think it's reasonable to imagine that corruption is right there around them as Simeon holds up this child and says, I've seen the Lord's salvation. I can die now. Why? Because they believe? The object of their faith was not in their complete understanding of what was going on and how Jesus would be this Savior. It wasn't in that. It was in Jesus. (laughs) It was in God. So can I ask you what may be a hard question? And bear with me because some of you, this might feel a little prickly. As you go into 2022, who or what is the object of your faith? Are you comforting yourself as you go into 2022 because you are convinced that while most of the population is confused and getting it wrong... You're nailing it. You've got it all figured out. Is your confidence in the fact that you're getting it right? Is your confidence in your understanding? Is your confidence in your knowledge? Let me drill down a little more. Raka is our faith in our theology as we enter into 2022, or in the God of our theology. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not trying to pit faith against accurate theology. Here's what I am saying. That if our theology is accurate, it will scream at us that it cannot be the object of our faith, but it needs to be the God of that theology that's the object of our faith if our theology is accurate, then it will scream at us constantly that no matter how rich, how deep, how thorough our theology might be, the God, the triune God who created the world and all that is in it and sustains it by the Word of His power, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit cannot fit in the confines of my theology. No matter how deep, and how accurate, and how clearly, if I spend my entire life studying the Word of God, He is greater still. Infinitely greater still. And His Word screams that to us. Even the life of Christ is revealed, John tells us what, at the end of his Gospel. If He tried to record it all, the world couldn't hold the volumes. When we attempt to put our confidence in our knowledge and in our understanding, it so often results either in pride or in disappointment. Pride because we think we're getting it right and we point our fingers at everybody who's getting it wrong or disappointment because we launch into 2022 going, this is what God's going to do, this is how it's all going to work out. And then guess what? It doesn't go that way. Nor frustrated and disappointed because our God hasn't acted in the way we thought He would. We live in a culture that loves information. It loves knowledge. And like so many other good things that God has given, knowledge and information and reason, they're fantastic, but all good things have their limit. We can get stuck in this idea that if I just had a little more information, then I would have peace if I just got a little more knowledge, then I would be content. Then I would be satisfied. But the satisfaction for Anna and Simeon, their ability to rejoice, did not come in their having a complete understanding about how how all of this was going to work out. It came in them putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As you walk in to 2022, I just challenge you, I encourage you, place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As I thought about this, I thought back to uh, several sermons ago, I showed that video of the little girl who got tickets to Disney World for her birthday, I don't know if you remember that, and she's so overwhelmed with the joy in that moment that she's trying to figure out, like process it, what does this mean, oh my goodness, Disney World, and it's, it's craziness, right? the moment her parents tell her that they're going to Disney World, she begins to rejoice. She doesn't say, I'll be happy when we get there. I'll believe it when I see it. She doesn't begin quizzing her parents. Wait a second. Before I start rejoicing, let me see your bank statements. I want to make sure you've actually purchased these tickets. And uh, I'd like to see um, your spreadsheet with your budget on it to see whether we can afford these tickets. I'd like to know exactly when we're getting there and what mode of transportation we're taking. What will we be eating? What's our itinerary look like? I just want to make sure that I've got it all figured out because I am not going to get excited till I've got all the details. What does she do? She rejoices. Why? Because her parents said we're going to Disney World And her confidence is in the word of her parents. She doesn't need to understand it all. Why? Because her confidence is in what her parents have said. I know some of you this morning, you may be thinking like I thought when I read this passage initially and began studying it. I went, yes, Simeon could wait. He got a word from the Holy Spirit that he wasn't going to die until he saw Jesus. I could wait if I got a word from the... Oh, wait a second. (laughs) Hold on a second. I don't just have a word from the Holy Spirit. I've got the full counsel of God's word right here. I don't just get a word from the Holy Spirit. He indwells me and testifies every single day that I'm a child of God. He testifies to me that Christ indwells me through Him and Jesus said if I go to prepare a place for you I'm coming again. I'm coming again. And where I find myself so many times, I'm going, I'm going to sit back, I'm going to fold my arms, and I'm just going to sit here until you explain to me how all of this is going to work out and how everything's going to come together. We could take a lesson from Anna and Simeon who do not delay in their joy because their faith is in God. He said it. This is His salvation, and they believe it. Last thing, as we go into 2022, bear witness to the light of the world, the glory of Israel, and the stone of stumbling. These words from Simeon, after he breaks into prophetic song, he turns to Mary and Joseph, and to Mary specifically, and we get these first indicators that everything surrounding Jesus is not going to be roses and rainbows. In Luke's Gospel narrative, everyone, right, as they've as they've understood who Christ is, they've all responded positively up to this point. And now through Simeon, God makes clear that that's not going to be how things go. What's going to happen? Well, he, this child is appointed. He's appointed. We already saw this in what we read this morning from Isaiah. He's appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. Isaiah chapter 8. through he's going to be a stone of stumbling. A rock of offense. Not everyone is going to embrace this baby. Not everyone is going to embrace this Savior. He turns to Mary and he says, listen, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be a sign that is opposed and a sword, I think he's saying this specifically to Mary, will pierce through your own soul also. That word sword is not like a little pinprick. This is a a broad sword. A double-edged broad sword is going to go right through your soul. Now, what all does that mean? Well, I think a lot is incorporated in that. I think that begins in the next text that we get. Have you ever lost your kid before? Have you ever known? You don't have to admit it right now. Have you ever had that terror of losing your child? You don't know where they're at. The next scene in Luke's gospel is what? Mary loses her 12-year-old boy, probably for days. Can you imagine the horror of that? They finally find Him, and instead of that glorious moment where the child comes running across the field with all the flowers, and the mom's running, and they embrace, <laughs> they're panicked, they find Jesus, and Jesus says what? Who well, didn't you know I needed to be in my father's house? talk about a sword through the soul that would continue all the way to her seeing her son crucified and rising again so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You know, as we enter into 2022, it should not be a shock to us that Jesus is an offense. Isaiah prophesied that he was going to be an offense. Right here in the birth narrative, we're reminded that he is going to be an offense. It shouldn't be a surprise to us, but it doesn't change the reality of what God spoke through Simeon right here where he says that this is the light of revelation to the Gentiles. This this is, again, the first clear indicator in Luke's Gospel that Jesus isn't just the Savior of the Jews, but He is the Savior of the world. He's the light of revelation to the Gentiles, and He's for glory to your people Israel. As Jesus would say to the woman at the well, salvation comes from the Jews. As Paul would say in Romans chapter 1, in verse 16, that the... The gospel is the power of God and the salvation for all who believe to the Jew first. Salvation came through the Jews. The the seed of Abraham would be for the blessing of the world. Just because people oppose Jesus does not mean it changes who He is. It doesn't mean that there's another way or another Savior or another option. May the opposition of others not be something that hinders us from bearing witness to Him. And I specifically use the word bear witness to him because part of it in that we shouldn't be surprised that there's opposition. Can I just say this? He, He doesn't need us to defend him. I think sometimes we feel like we need to be God's defense attorney and he does not call us to that. He calls us to bear witness. To bear witness to him. This is what Anna does when she sees him. She goes and tells Others who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now here's something else that I want you to notice. Everyone in Luke's birth narrative that comes to understand who Jesus is, how do they do that? How does that happen? These are righteous, blameless people. The Bible tells us that. Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, Joseph. Now well, the shepherds, they don't say that they're righteous, but... Okay. Here we have Anna, Simeon. How do they recognize that Jesus is the Messiah? Every single one of them, it takes divine revelation. Every single one of them takes divine revelation. (laughs) And for the shepherds, it takes a lot of divine revelation. Like not just an angel, like a bunch of angels, right? Hey, that's the guy. Isn't it the same for us today? We... We go and we bear witness and we know that if people are going to come to understand who Christ really is, it is going to happen through divine revelation. But here's the thing. Listen to me, Bracka. Here's the thing. I know we read these accounts and we go, man, there's angels appearing and there's myriads of angels appearing and there's the Holy Spirit giving word to people. God is working in these divine appointments so that people come to an understanding of who Jesus is and all that stuff is amazing and we read about it. But listen to me. It's still happening today. Every person who comes to faith in Christ only comes to faith in Christ because of a divine appointment where God opens their eyes and lets them understand that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. The God that we read about here in the beginning of Luke is no different than the God whom we serve today. He is no less capable of opening blind eyes. He is no less capable of helping people to understand that His Son is the light to the Gentiles, the glory of Israel, a stone of stumbling, but the Savior of the world. Bear witness to Him. When I say bear witness to Him, I mean just... Just bear witness to him. We bear witness all the time. We don't use that language. But you watch a video on YouTube and you get fired up about it and guess what you go around doing? Bearing witness about it. you got to see this video. It's so, it's so funny. You see something on TikTok and what do you do? You bear witness about it. You read an article and what do you do? You bear witness about it. Somebody says, hey, what did you do this weekend? Man, I watched this TikTok video. It's hilarious. you got to watch it. Right? Without a thought, you bear witness to it. So the next time somebody says, hey, what did you do this weekend? Don't do a big swerve around the fact that you went to church on Sunday. (laughs) And you heard the Word of God preached. And your heart was encouraged because you were reminded that while you're waiting, there's a Savior that's coming. And all of His words are good and faithful and true. Bear witness to Him. How was your Christmas? You know, my Christmas was really good, and it didn't come in just the gifts that I got, but it reminded me of the Savior who came and the fact that my faith is in Him. Bear witness. Bear witness. And if they reject it, no shocker. <laughs> we knew that was going to happen. Bear witness, why? Because you believe that the God who is at work here on these pages orchestrating these divine appointments is still doing the same. And glory be to Him, He has written you and me into His story. And He has a role for us to play to bear witness to this great Savior. So in 2022, may we wait obediently. May we rejoice in things we have yet to see and understand, and may we bear witness to Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would indeed take this text and you would cause us to eat it, to digest it, to take it all the way down into us, and that it would fuel our faith, that we would... take those steps of obedient faith while we're waiting. That we would rejoice now in things that we have yet to fully, that we've yet to see or fully understand. That that we would be a a church family that is constantly and consistently bearing witness, not in some forced religious sense, but in... in a a natural sense that that we're, we're bearing witness to the most important part of our lives, to the thing that is the center of our lives, the person who's the center of our lives, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming. Thank you that you understand what it means to wait as you put on flesh and entered into time and space Thank you, Holy Spirit, for indwelling all of us who have placed our faith in Christ and testifying to us as we wait that we are children of God, that we are sealed, that our redemption is sure, that our inheritance is sure because it is hidden in Christ on high. And as we pray all of these things, we pray. Unashamedly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. In Christ's name, amen.